And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It is episode 50. I made it to the milestone. 50 of cinema. And it's brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. I didn't know where to start with a topic for episode 50 reaching this, you know, kind of milestone at 50 episodes of this podcast. And the sad part is there's just so much cynicism out there. I I guess I can just keep rolling with this. I I don't foresee a problem getting to 100 episodes. I wanted to settle on something because of what's been going on in in the background, in the backdrop of this pandemic, and that is the rise of conspiracies to the foreground, to right up front. I mean, before, I mean, look, there, there have always been conspiracy theories and that, and there are real conspiracies that I do not doubt. However, uh, the internet, I believe, has really facilitated a major, not only embracement of these conspiracy theories through various so-called experts. And, and of course, we can invoke Alex Jones. He probably comes to mind instantly with that bullshit of Sandy Hook being fake and the hiring of crisis actors and all this nonsense that's going on. And, and conspiracy theories permeate everywhere. I mean, they go back, I mean, to the beginning of the founding of this country and, and forever throughout the history of man. It's It's been, you know, conspiracy theories, but they've never been so mainstream, I think is the word for it, to the point where uh, people are even complaining on their own social media, whether it's Facebook or whatever, uh, these videos such as Plandemic and that this uh, coronavirus has been created uh, for the, the sole purpose of unseating a single president, Trump, uh, that this heralds from a left-wing deep state conspiracy to unseat the president because he's beaten the left how many times and he scares the deep state. He's for draining the swamp and an American independence in the deep state, fears him because he's he's an independent thinking president. And all of this has been done to unsee Trump. And then we're dragging Bill Gates into it and we're bringing in Fauci and, and all these people, these members of this vast conspiracy to topple the world's markets and, and all of them. I'm going to go into that in a second because it deals with what I'm going to be talking about today in the way of making a murderer and the so-called conspiracy theory behind that. The mainstream embracement of these conspiracies dovetails with making a murderer, the original Netflix series uh, about the um, wrongly, and I put this in quotes, wrongly accused uh, Stephen Avery. And we're going to go into all of that in a moment. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the foundation of, of making a murderer is a conspiracy. A conspiracy has put this man behind bars. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here and, and talk about the origins of conspiracies. But I mean, whether it's, you know, vaccines cause autism or, uh, you know, 9-11 was an inside job. There seems to be a common thread in the way of why so many buy into these conspiracies. And again, we can go to Sandy Hook, we can go uh, to this pandemic. And that is, 
it seems that the one of the core things of this mass embracement of conspiracy is the need to make sense of it, of, of random events and the belief that it just it, it just couldn't happen to me. Why is this happening to me? Why am I affected? There has to be a bigger reason other than for the simple fact that sometimes bad shit just happens. I was reading this one great article on a woman who found out that her husband was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor. However, the fact is benign sounds great, but it was inoperable, which means this benign tumor, while not cancerous, is going to continue to grow and debilitate his brain. And it's going to be a slow process, but a steady one. And he has to prepare for the end. And she started embracing all these different kinds of things like, why did this happen to my husband? He's young, he's successful, we have a child. How could this happen? And she said, I suddenly started, you know, looking into cell phone radiation. Did that cause the tumor? Were, were chemicals involved from what we eat being sprayed on our food? And, and reaching out and suddenly finding herself going down that internet rabbit hole with embracing different conspiracies. And she found, I guess somehow she was able to pull herself out of it, snap herself awake and look at this and say, when her husband, I think is what it was, her husband said, well, if not me, then who? The other thing I used to say to people is, did you ever stop to think that when you say, well, these kind of things usually happen to someone else. However, you are someone else to someone else. I briefly touched on this in the way that horror has gone. And I use the original Halloween in this respect before we get to making a murder. The original Halloween, the 1978 Carpenter film, really had no conspiracy behind it in the way that Michael was Laurie's brother and blah, 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 and all that hideous backstory that fortunately the 2018 film jettisoned and got rid of all that ridiculous nonsense of Laurie and Michael being related. And instead... The point of Halloween is that random things can happen to people. Lori was just singled out. We don't know why. Again, bad shit happens. But horror as of late has tried to find these backstories and reasons. And Rob Zombie's remake, for example, gave you know this huge backstory of a dysfunctional family, a stripper mom, an alcoholic dad, blah, 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 blah. And in creating all of this, when instead, sometimes it's just simple to understand that there's bad for badness sake. Michael Myers was a tornado that touched down in Haddonfield. And sometimes a tornado hits your neighbor's house and not yours, or it hits yours and not your neighbor's house. It's a totally random thing. The weather systems did not combine. There was no universal, uh, horrible kind of conspiracy out there, a cabal of natural forces to align against you to bring that tornado to your home. However, there are people that I've heard people say, this is my luck. The tornado hit my house. Well, you know what? There were probably about 10,000 other people in that tornado that also have the same luck as you. So sometimes it comes down to realizing, and it's a humbling thing, you're not that important. 
That's what it comes down to. Think about that the next time that you think a vast conspiracy is aligned against you. Ask yourself, are you that important to the universe? The whole point of cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, is for critical thinking. Go out and look for the genesis of conspiracy theories. Alex Jones propagated the Sandy Hook one. However, there were people that bought into it because sometimes it's just harder to think that bad shit happens, even to little children. It was better to think that there was a vast conspiracy, which if you notice, erases those deaths. Those bad things didn't happen. Those kids were put into hiding or whatever the reasons were that they said, but those children never died and all that that nonsense. The fact is they did die. And the human brain sometimes has trouble comprehending that. So let's go to Making a Murderer, the hit Netflix series that has spawned now one and two and I guess three seasons of this. And Avery is still behind bars. So if you don't know of the series, basically the premise is, is that a young girl, Teresa Halbach, was killed uh, allegedly by Stephen Avery and his dim-witted nephew. And what happened was uh, this guy uh, previously had been in jail. He was exonerated by DNA evidence, so he was wrongly imprisoned. He comes home. Uh, the story is is that he was going to file a massive lawsuit uh, against the municipality uh, and the state for false imprisonment. And the only way that they could get this guy is to create this vast conspiracy against him when Teresa Halbach died and blame him for it to get him back in jail. That said, and look, you can go Wikipedia all this to get all the finer details or hell, just go on Netflix and start watching the series. I'm going to approach this through a thing called Occam's Razor. And to apply Occam's Razor, number one, determine how many assumptions and conditions are necessary for each explanation to be correct? Number two, if an explanation requires extra assumptions or conditions, demand evidence commensurate with the strength of each claim. And number three, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And to sum up Occam's razor without those three points, with other things being equal, Simpler explanations are generally better than more complex ones. This episode is not about whether Stephen Avery is guilty or innocent. It is not about whether there are injustices in our legal system. We know there are. This piece is about the cynicism behind making a piece of entertainment disguised as social crusading. That's my point. This is extremely cynical. I'm going to say that making a murderer absolutely classifies as cinema. I was inspired by all of this to, to make a point after a series of online tweets. Uh, there was backlash from people who, who made it about this whole series about a social cause and that I was ignoring the issues in our criminal justice system. And my point was simple. Making a murderer is not about the correction of our legal system or justice for a man wrongly accused. This series, parts one, two, and eventually three, are about entertainment. So to keep going on this, I need you to set aside your Facebook social justice warrior mentality. This is the difference between true empirical data and rational thinking. Look, 
Look, there were a whole bunch of people out there after watching Tiger King that were, you know, petitioning on Twitter and all that for Trump to pardon Joe Exotic. You got to look at the facts here, man. Don't be moved by a stupid edited television series. Okay, look at the facts. No, Joe Exotic belongs behind bars, folks. And on top of it, he's not a good person. Okay, it comes out very clear because I think if the animals could talk, they would testify to that. Thank God they couldn't take him to court. This episode is the difference between true empirical data and rational thinking. It's about examining all of the data and making an informed decision based upon critical thinking. That's what this podcast is all about. And to prove my point, many have petitioned the White House with a petition to free Stephen Avery. However, the president can't Pardon Avery. They tried doing it with Obama. They tried it with Trump. Only a governor can pardon Stephen Avery. This is not a federal issue. It is a state issue. And it's just another example of people spouting off at the emotional mouth in social media outrage without looking at facts or understanding the basic details of law and the Constitution. However, that's boring in this infotainment age. Research requires boring due process and thorough examination of dull facts and evidence. It's far more exciting to do armchair forensics based on material packaged with fancy editing and arousing emotional musical score. Most wish to be manipulated into a verdict based on the story the filmmakers wish to tell. You get validation by picking up the online social cause and slap it on your, your Facebook page to show how open-minded you are and, and what a good person you are. You're getting behind this cause. Maybe you should worry about your own life a little bit. True examination means stripping away fancy editing, manipulating musical scores, and selected sound bites. It requires an emotional detachment. Viewers need to be disciplined and separate emotion from data. One good look at a comment section on your average news article shows what we are dealing with. Go look. If you're not familiar with him, please check out the author, Neil Postman. He is the author of Amusing Ourselves to Death, and he called all of this a long time ago. The fictional film Network was more of a warning than a terrific piece of drama. We have now come to a point in our existence where we can no longer tell the difference between entertainment and fact. Go check out my Twitter timeline in the morning, like usually first thing, and the articles that I post. I can't believe that some of this shit actually passes as news. I'm going to be doing a future episode, maybe even after this one as a follow-up, on the docudrama and the difference between fiction and reality, and just all out making shit up. A while ago, screenwriter Aaron Sorkin was rightfully overlooked for the best screenplay nomination because his script for the movie Steve Jobs was bullshit. It is fiction, not a hard researched piece on a man's life. The issue Sorkin found was that the reality was less romantic and glamorous and rousing than the stuff he could just make up. And I'm going to go into detail about that in my next episode. So I want to go back to Neil Postman for a moment. We'll go back to Sorkin in in a coming episode, probably episode 51. But Neil Postman argued in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that a show like the respected science space program Nova 
is really no different than Star Trek. Both are about space, both entertain with musical scores, there are striking computer-enhanced visuals and celebrities. Much can be made that the science of Star Trek is sound. We have a shuttle named Enterprise, we have scientists working on tractor beams and cloaking systems, phasers and weaponized lasers, tricorders. We have people working on first contact. Nova and, and other science-based shows are scripted by writing teams with input from the scientific community. But so is Star Trek. Look, I agree that making a murder gets people talking about our society and our legal system and the ideas of right and wrong. And, and I'll go further and say that making a murder is no different than any season of Law & Order or the base-level content of Investigation Discovery Channel. Two filmmakers had a story to tell, and they altered the data to create a narrative that would grip the audience. So here's another hard question. How is making a murderer deserving of such a Netflix presentation when it's more suited for your average true crime channel? I mean, the internet vomits news stories on the show revealing that, that all of the evidence was not used in the series. Hardcore testimony from Stephen Avery's nephew was left out, damning evidence with the purchase of leg irons, harassing phone calls to Teresa Halbach, backed up with hard evidence were all ignored. Even Avery's own lawyers, and now he has this new lawyer, admit that evidence was left out of the series. Avery's ex-fiance admits her man was a monster. There is even a nebulous statement from the two filmmakers themselves, and I'm going to read it to you. The two directors say that they don't have the definitive answer on guilt or innocence. Fine. They were providing a story for people to follow, and they stated that they did not create any type of advocacy. I don't know if I can agree with that. While not a true about face or backpedaling, the coming quote here is not a firm statement of Avery's innocence. So here's their quote. The filmmakers said this. This is a documentary. We're documentary filmmakers. We're not prosecutors. We're not defense attorneys. We do not set out to convict or exonerate anyone. We set out to examine the criminal justice system and how it's functioning today. It would have been impossible for us to include every piece of evidence submitted to the court. So we took our cues from the prosecution, what they thought was the most compelling evidence. That's what we included. Of course, we left out evidence, one of them added. There would have been no other way of doing it. We're not putting on a trial, but rather a film. Of what was omitted, the question is, was it really significant? The secret is no. Now that was Laura Riccardi of Making a Murder. She's the director and producer. But you know what? That's not how it works. You don't decide what information slash evidence is left out. It's all or nothing. Like Steve Jobs, you either get it right and make it accurate or you make a fictional film. This qualifies as cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, because the filmmakers knowingly made a movie, a series, that would prey on emotional heartstrings and not logical, critical thinking. That is my opinion. This is what the original season one series was proposing. A man who was wrongfully prosecuted for rape and DNA exonerated him and sentenced to 18 years was accused of a new rape and murder of Teresa Halbach. 
A cabal of law enforcement, local, and federal government workers came together to frame this man for the new crime. And why? Because Stephen Avery was planning a financially damaging and embarrassing lawsuit. So for this to happen, this conspiracy would need to involve the following. Number one, it would need a victim, and that's Teresa Halbach. She would have to have been killed by coincidence and conveniently for the conspiracy to plant her forensic evidence on the Avery property. Or this conspiracy killed Halbach to frame Avery and stop his lawsuit. Number two, police from two departments conspired with state and federal authorities in a vast conspiracy and kept every conspirator quiet. Number three, The cabal against Avery is profoundly stupid. It would have to be. It does not consider the power of the media that will focus on his latest arrest. Number four, the cabal of seasoned professionals discounts sensationalized press and fails to realize that the conspirators themselves may fall under scrutiny in this internet age. Number five, Avery would have to have the worst shit luck in the world. Despite a history of alleged incestuous sexual assault, domestic abuse, and animal cruelty, Avery had no idea why he would be a suspect. The fact that he placed numerous harassing phone calls to Halbach, greeted her in a towel during one visit to his home, would have to be ignored, as it was in the show. Number six, his own nephew with Forrest Gump IQ would have to create a story to frame his own uncle. Why? He was coerced by the cops to get Avery. The nephew claims he got his images of of BDSM torture from a James Patterson crime book. You know, because this kid with a fourth grade reading level reads lengthy literature. He can barely retain the content of an ongoing phone conversation, but this type of complex literature burned indelibly into his brain. Now, I am going to use Occam's razor, and here it is. It's one simple question. With all that I just read you, all of that nonsense to frame one guy, I'm going to ask you this. Wouldn't it just be easier to kill Stephen Avery? I mean, think hard and let go of your Twitter hashtag free Stephen Avery, Stephen Avery is innocent bullshit. The prosecutor, Kratz, Well, he had asked that question as well, too. And he had words, those words, taken out of context by the filmmakers when he proposed that similar scenario. I mean, there seems to be no doubt that Prosecutor Kratz has his own personal issues and and may not be of the finest moral fiber. If, If you watched season one, you can understand. However, he was not saying that there was a plan to kill Avery or that he was condoning such a thing. He was asking the same question I just asked you. Instead of a high-profile, expensive trial that would draw in so much scrutiny and really be part of an uncontrollable conspiracy, wouldn't it just be easier to kill Stephen Avery? And the answer is, in my opinion, yes. In season one, the filmmakers showed evidence that The lead prosecutor had made some alleged uh, sex text messages to a woman and and harassed her. And while that is absolutely reprehensible, 
It is no more proof of evidence tampering than Avery's animal abuse by burning a cat alive. Everybody's saying you can't connect that to Hallbach's death. Well, then how do you draw a correlation between Kratz's shitty, disgusting behavior to some type of uh, ineptitude in his job? However, both show the capacity of both individuals to work outside the moral realm. Both show the lack of a moral compass, but neither implicate each man in the accused crimes. The prosecutor is right. Kill Stephen Avery and the issue goes away. There might be a little dust up, but far less than going through the complicated machinations of a conspiracy involving enough people that could speak at any time, someone's going to get a guilt trip. And look, you listening right now, you know what I'm talking about. You can't keep a secret among three people in a room. Tell that secret and within a day that secret is out. So I'm going to use Occam's razor again. Here's how to kill Avery. Number one, they could have shot him on his property to make it look like a suicide. So here are my bullet points using Occam's razor on how you could have killed Avery and nobody would have really paid much attention. Number one, shoot him on his property or make it look like a suicide. Number two, go out to his place on some kind of complaint or investigation. Say that Avery got upset, pulled a gun and and was shot dead. If any public outrage comes, bring up the cat story, the fondling his nephew story, or better yet, any of the variety of backwoods rube stories about his family's unsavory sex and violence escapades. Number three, have a cop be the fall guy. Tell him to shoot Avery, and he will then do some time, but amply rewarded, thus bringing down the number of conspirators. I mean, you still have a conspiracy, and that can still get out, but you you certainly decrease it instead of involving, you know, uh, local, state, and federal authorities. Number four, Avery is simply found dead on a country road. His car veered off, blunt force trauma to the head, you know, something like that. A shame, but it'll pass without major media meddling. And and look, face it, anybody poking into it, you can just call them conspiracy mongers. Or lastly, Avery commits suicide. And I put that in quotes. Only a few people needed to pull this off. And again, the story goes away a lot better than the giant one of framing him. For those of you who remember, Karen Silkwood is likely to have died from some type of conspiracy for whistleblowing on the nuclear industry. She could have been framed in any number of ways. Someone or a few people decided Occam's razor worked best, and that was fucking killer. You have a better chance of surviving subsequent scrutiny than concocting a conspiracy on the scale of Avery's. Look, Stephen Avery pissed off state and county officials with some media and, and a lawsuit. Arguments focus on the fact that the lawsuit would bankrupt the county and counties carry insurance. The damages found for Avery would be paid from insurance policies, likely not the county's coffers. A long trial would cost money. A lot of it. There is the contention that the insurance wouldn't pay. All the more reason to kill Avery than spend money in a lengthy, expensive trial and pay gobs of hush money to would-be conspirators who can't keep their mouths shut. Killing Stephen Avery is the simplest and most economic way to deal with that situation. Is it possible authorities planted evidence and doctored data? Sure. There's even the theory that a copycat killer set Avery up, and I'm going to put the link in my show notes about that because it's actually quite interesting. I don't know if it's true, but boy, is it interesting. Those involved may have taken on an ends justify the means mentality to make sure Avery didn't walk. 
this is not defensible in the slightest. And, and I'm not making a case for the legal authorities involved. What I am saying is making a murderer is entertainment and very little else. It is well-crafted and it is well-written. It achieved its objective. It told a compelling story. Is it scientific? Is it objective? Most of all, is it what so many want it to be, an examination of the justice system that has let down so many? Well, the answer is no. Conspiracies do exist. They have occurred. They do happen. And bad things happen to good people. Cops can be crooked and the legal system has at times dispensed bad justice. No one is denying that. The filmmakers claim they expected heated reactions. Well, of course they did. So did Netflix. It generates word of mouth and gets streaming numbers up. What they did was create a stance that allows them to say, when convenient, that their film, series, whatever, is just that, a series. They cynically crafted the ability to keep a foot in the social crusading world and come off as two Aaron Brockoviches of the legal universe. They are speaking to those who feel left behind in a world that is really seeing a growing gulf between the haves and have-nots. As a result, it appeals to the conspiracy-loving American in all of us. Making a murder is a masterpiece of emotional manipulation. Since the release, several of, of the prosecutors, uh, they, they received death threats, and that includes their families. These threats came from people who, who just don't know any better. One of the defense attorneys became an internet sex symbol to, to groups of people who know very little. And trust me, if you saw this guy, you would be wondering. It just shows you the, the mentality of people that they just adore anybody who's on television. It's an emotional knee-jerk reaction, no different than idolizing uh, the young man accused of the Boston Marathon bombings or, or even Joe Exotic. Facts get in the way. Just go with your gut. Look, I was accepted onto a reality TV show called American Candidate in 2004. It was for Showtime, and, and the premise was pretty simple. It was American Idol for politics. The winner gets to run for president. I was grilled by the writers and the producers of the show. When it was clear that I did not align with their political agenda, I called home and I said I would be back within the week. And I was. The director of that series joined me for breakfast before I went home. And he said to me, your character doesn't really fit the story we're trying to tell. And I remember looking at the guy and I said, well, that's funny. I thought this was reality television. And he just dismissed it. I mean, I was being sarcastic. And he said, look, it's all written. There is no such thing as reality TV. I knew that. It was just nice to hear the head honcho say it. Occam's razor and common sense says Avery's innocence is in serious doubt. Here's a simple question. This is how I'm going to end this episode. So you ready? Actually, I'll make it more than one question. Would you or any of your loved ones take in Avery or want him to live next door? Now, if you say, yeah, hell yes, I would. Well, then I'm going to ask you this. Would you allow him to babysit your daughter? Sometimes the simplest answer is the one. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for 50 great episodes, and wherever you are in the world right now, I hope you and yours are safe and healthy. We'll see you next week. Thank you again. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.